Hi, I'm Jason Wachab, founder and CEO of MindBuddyGreen, the best-selling author of Wealth, and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review, comment, and share with your friends and family. And don't forget to visit us at MindBuddyGreen.com for your daily dose of wellness. Thanks, and enjoy the podcast. This episode is sponsored by MindBodyGreen classes and trainings, where you can learn from world-class experts from the comfort of your own home. The MindBodyGreen class library has educational programs you can't find anywhere else. From yoga and meditation to nutrition and personal growth, our classes have something for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a wellness warrior, MindBodyGreen classes will take you further on your wellness journey. You can find our classes at mindbodygreen.com classes. That's mindbodygreen.com slash classes. Enter the promo code podcast on checkout to receive 15% off your next purchase. Dr. Frank Lippman is an internationally recognized expert in the field of integrative medicine. He's the founder and director of the 1111 Wellness Center in New York, where for over 20 years, his personal brand of healing has helped thousands of people reclaim their vitality and recover their zest for life. And I am one of those people. Frank is my own doctor, one of my favorite people in the world, and an early Mind Body Green contributor. He truly is a pioneer in the world of wellness. Here we are at the Mind Body Green studio in Brooklyn with one of my favorite people in the world, Dr. Frank Littman. Welcome. Thank you. Lovely to be here. So we've known each other now for seven years. Met you in 2010. Do you remember how we met? I can't remember how we met, but I remember you bugging me in my <laughs> office with your little flip camera. <laughs> well, we went, it was Tibet House. Do you remember you did an event oh, in 2010? Okay. Right. Chris Carr, Elena oh, Brower. Okay, that's right. And I remember what you said to me. Do you, do you remember this? No, I don't. You said, you have too much yoga content. You need more functional medicine. <laughs> All these yogis talking. <laughs> they don't know anything about nutrition. <laughs> and, then, and then I started to bug you and we used to have the right, I had a flip cam. Yep. I come in and record you with a flip cam. I right. didn't know how to edit, so we had to do one take. You were pretty good, though. <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, it's such an honor to, to have you here on the podcast, finally. And so you have an amazing story, and I, and I want you to share some of that story from South Africa to landing in the Bronx. So I grew up in South Africa during apartheid. That was a long time ago. And uh, I got exposed to alternative or non-traditional medicine when I was working in the black hospitals. Because in South Africa during apartheid, you either went to, a, if you were black, you, there were black hospitals and white, there were white hospitals. Everything was separated, the schools and neighborhoods and the hospitals as well. So you could sort of either choose to work in a white hospital or a black hospital. And I was fascinated with black culture growing up. I grew up in a very politically left family. So I used to spend most of my medical school and training at black hospitals. And I first got exposed to Sangomas, traditional healers, when I was there. And uh, I noticed that uh, when, the fa when we couldn't help the patients, the family would call in the Sangoma, the traditional healer. And sometimes the patients got better when we couldn't help them. And I, I didn't really understand it, but I, I sort of 
sort of opened my mind a bit to say, well, maybe there's something to what we all thought was quackery. Hmm. And then when I went to, uh, when I finished my training, I worked, uh, I went to work in the bush for 18 months. And once again in the bush, I was exposed to these traditional healers. And once again, I noticed that they were helping patients that we weren't helping. And I thought, well, this is really interesting. And then I came to work, um, after I worked in the bush, I had passed my American exams and I was just working in, in a, a private practice in, in Johannesburg, which is a big city in South Africa, waiting to come to America. And I was working in a private practice and, and people were coming in and they were tired and they couldn't poop and they had headaches <laughs> and they um, were suffering from problems that we couldn't help in Western medicine because you know we got trained in acute care medicine, in crisis care where people were acutely ill. And these patients were coming in with these chronic problems and I didn't know what to do. And interestingly enough, because it was a sort of uh, a bit of a, a hippie alt, um, a practice that a lot of the artists used to, to come to, the doctor was a very interesting guy. These patients were coming in and they were going to the one acupuncturist that was in Johannesburg and they were going to homeopaths. And they were telling me the homeopath helped them or the acupuncturist helped them. So I started questioning, you know, what the hell's going on? My training's not helping these people, and um, these these quacks were helping them. And I went <laughs> to speak to the doctor, and I said, Paul, what the hell is going on? So he says, you know, you just need to be open, and, you know, most people get better in spite of the medicines we give them. Your job is just to be them and support and support them. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I want to study some some of this stuff. And before I left South Africa, he gave me this book uh, called The Barefoot Doctor's Manual. And he said, go study acupuncture. That's what I think you should do. And I landed in the South Bronx uh, because I got a, a green card in, at, at Lincoln Hospital. What year was this? This was 1984. Wow, South Bronx, not so nice back then. South Bronx there was pretty rough neighborhood. But it, you know, they, they because American doctors didn't, wouldn't go to that area, they, they were able to sponsor me for a green card because the guy interviewed me. He liked South African doctors. He said, "Yeah, you can have a job, no problem." So uh, I started doing my residency in the South Bronx. I didn't really know how rough it was. I used to take the train at all hours in the South Bronx. You know, when you're ignorant, there was no fear because I didn't know any different. <laughs> I mean, now, you know, you know, looking back, I probably wouldn't have done it, but. Um, so it was really interesting, um, and um, after a few weeks of starting my residency, I realized that I just didn't want to be a doctor in America, because the medicine was very different to w w the way we practiced in South Africa. In South Africa, we didn't have all the money to do all these tests, so we had to take a really good history, listen to a patient, and and make a clinical decision. In America, they were more interested in the blood tests, the EKG, the X-ray, and then reading up to present to the professor. There was no um, taking a good history and doing a good exam wasn't as important as, as all these other, you know, the blood tests and the x-rays. And I said to Janice, my wife, I said, I just don't want to be a doctor here. And uh, there happened to be an acupuncture clinic which was doing detox for the hospital, attached to the hospital. I said, well, I'm going to check this out. So um, this is a couple of weeks into my residency. I go take a, a walk a couple of blocks to this acupuncture clinic that I'd heard about. And I walk into this room, um, and there are about 30, 40 addicts sitting in the room quietly with needles in their ears. Hmm. And I went, 
holy shit. <laughs> these guys, th- these are the same type of patients that I'm seeing in the wards. And in the, you know, working with heroin and crack addicts is very tough. They're pulling out their IVs. They're swearing at you. And I walk into this room and they're sitting quietly with needles in their ears. And I said, wow, I want to check this out. So I went to speak to the Mike Smith who ran the clinic and I explained to him my position. We got talking about politics in South Africa because he is quite political. He said, you can come study here whenever you want. So for the next three years during my training, I was doing my internal medicine training at the hospital where I was seeing acutely ill patients and I was doing crisis care, which was fantastic. And at the same time, I was going to the acupuncture clinic and I was seeing mainly chronic problems like you know people who couldn't poop and had headaches and were tired, the same things I was seeing in private practice. And after a while, I realized that both these medicines are really effective for what they're good at, but they're not particularly effective at what the other is good at. So it was so obvious to see that Western medicine is wonderful for crisis care. You know, if you burst your appendix or if you have pneumonia, if you have a heart attack, but it's not particularly good at, you know, if you're tired um, and you have irritable bowel syndromes or you have headaches, whereas those same problems that, you know, we couldn't help in the hospital or after their acute illness was over, these same patients were getting helped in the acupuncture clinic. So it was so obvious for me to see that the future of medicine would be the combination of the two. Um, so this was 1984, 1985. So I knew that this is what I wanted to do. Um, and um, I knew that what I wanted to do is combine the two. But in those days, there was not much out there. So I had to sort of work this way out for myself. Um, so after I finished my internal medicine residency, I started exploring or even before I started exploring nutrition, meditation, and Chinese medicine, and anything that I thought would help. And in those days, you had to seek out your teachers. So I sought out um, really well-known Chinese medicine teachers, Ephraim Korngold and Harriet Bainfeld, who were unbelievable mentors for me, because they taught me how to think. In Western medicine, you're not taught how to think. What's their book again? It's famous. Um, Between Heaven and Earth. Yep. So they became my teachers and really good friends, and they, you know, they loved that a doctor was really interested in it, and they sort of took me on sort of as this special student, and they really inculcated the way they think about things. You know, and the metaphor I always used, you know, Harriet always used to say, well, in Western medicine, you're taught to be a mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, if a part is broken, you either try to fix it or you take it out. In Chinese medicine, we see the body as a garden. And if the plant isn't growing properly, you need to look at you know, are the, what's going on with the roots. How's the soil? Is the plant getting enough sun? Um, is it getting enough water? you the gardener. You've got to try and get this plant right. But you don't just paint the, green, paint the leaves green. You see why the plant isn't growing. So there's a whole different way of seeing the body. And... For the next couple of years, it was a struggle for me. How do I incorporate this whole new way of thinking? And also, there was this energy, this chi, and um, they used to talk about, uh, you know, excess blood or um, too much wind. I mean, it is a completely different language. And I was, you know, struggling to how do I actually articulate this into a Western way of thinking? Because I was still a doctor and I was struggling. Um, you know, how do I put this all together? And then 
in the late in 1988 1989 I met Jeff I went to a lecture by Jeff Bland and that was a major aha experience because everything I was struggling with he was articulating he had taken the concepts of balance and increasing function of Chinese medicine and he had combined it with the biochemistry and the physiology of Western medicine and it sort of created a system in a way it's now called functional medicine but he was sort of developing it then um, but it was really articulating everything I was trying to work out for myself so I started going to Jeff Bland conferences and following Jeff around and learning a lot from Jeff because to me that was the future this combination of Chinese philosophy with Western physiology and biochemistry and so what, what happens next? You're like, I'm in. So, I want to start practicing like this. So, well, at, at the same time where I was struggling with this, you know, theoretical concepts and philosophy, I still had to make a living. So I was working as a doctor. Um, I was working part-time at the acupuncture clinic because he wanted me to, you know, after my residency, he asked me to stay on. So I was, you know, doing acupuncture there. And I got a job on the Lower East Side um, at Patanza's Health Unit because... Um, I'd heard about uh, the guy who ran it, and he was interested in having holistic practitioners. So I started doing um, a lot of um, acupuncture and nutrition. I was a novice then, but we started doing nutrition in those days um, at this uh, clinic, the Batansas Health Unit. And there actually happened to be a nutritionist there who also became a mentor of mine, Susan Luck, who was actually the one who turned me on to Jeff Bland. So I was I was doing um, sort of creating a holistic practice on the Lower East Side. This is 1988, and I was continuing acupuncture. And then um, I was at the acupuncture clinic, and this orthopedic surgeon came in, um, Jim Halligan, and he had a tennis elbow. He said, oh, "I got a sore elbow. Can you help me?" I said, "Maybe." So I put some needles in. Came back the next week. He said, well, my elbow's better, but now my shoulder's sore. Can you help me? So I came back the next week. He said, my shoulder's better. You know, I have the sports clinic downtown. Do you want to come and do some acupuncture at my sports clinic? So I said, why not? So this is 1988. So I started doing acupuncture at his sports clinic. And, you know, after a year or two, it sort of evolved. And then I started studying with Mark Seam, another who started um, Tri-State Institute for Acupuncture. And in those days... He needed an MD to, 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 to be legal in New York, so he asked me to be his MD. Yeah, yeah, yeah he needed me, but I was learning from an, another master. So um, eventually I just started my own practice. It just happened organically where I was sort of combining acupuncture and Chinese medicine, and then I had gotten into yoga and meditation and nutrition. And I was just trying to put all of this stuff together, and this functional medicine world was evolving so this was the like 80s, early 90s, and it's just sort of, you know, I started my own practice, I think, in 1992. Um, and I, before that, even started doing um, a lot of this holistic world work, but at the sports clinic and at Batanza's Health Unit in 1992, I started my own practice. And so this is what happens. You've been at this <laughs> for a while, and, and how do you think wellness has evolved since then in functional medicine and where were you where were you like look look at the practice and and wellness back then to where we are today yeah i think it's it's unbelievable how it's evolved you know in those days 
I was just, I knew my truth. I knew there was a better way and I was just trying to find whatever would work for patients. So I didn't really care about, you know, traditional medicine or um, what I was doing. I was still young and headstrong and um, I was just doing my thing and I was seeing people getting better so I knew there was something to it. Now we have systems. We have an operating system with functional medicine Mm -hmm. and now I'm not a quack anymore. Now it's sort of you know, people actually respect my idea. <laughs> um, You're a real doctor. But um, it's fantastic. I mean, yeah, you know, as with any growing movement, there, there are always glitches and there's, you know, I think in America um, in particular, I think things get, you know, maybe commercialized a little bit. And But ultimately, I think it's all good. You know, there's n- nothing, no, nothing's perfect, but I think the um, the idea that yoga and meditation and even nutrition have become so mainstream is fantastic i just wish there was a little bit less infighting within the movement but i think that's normal as well right um i I love that you know there's a mind body green and and so do i and (laughs) and people are starting to think for themselves and there's a web that you know you don't just have to listen to your doctor because you know, Western medicine is wonderful, f- you know, if you're acutely ill and you're having a heart attack, but it's not particularly good for most of the problems we see today. And so we have this huge problem and, and doctors and, and the medical system is not particularly helpful. So all in all, I think this wellness movement is wonderful. Is it perfect? No, but that's fine. What are the things that drives you, drive you nuts about the current movement? I don't know if anything drives me nuts, but, uh, you know, I, I just think... Um, People tend to uh, get lost in, the, you know, if they have, everyone has their way, which is going to be the answer to everything. And I think life, especially the more you do this, you see how complicated mm-hmm. the human beings are and how complicated health is, you know. And, and to me, a real holistic perspective is, you know, how you think, how you move, what you believe, the community around you. Um, how you treat the planet it's not just about are you a vegan or you're paleo it's not just about you exactly so i think you know the 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 beauty of of where i learned i come from this uh, uh, you know harriet and ephraim were unbelievable mentors for me as has my yoga teacher been and they've taught me you know this is an ecosystem and you the, you know, you, you have ecosystems within you and you as a human being are an ecosystem within a bigger ecosystem. And, you know, you have to look after the, the larger ecosystem. So, you know, I think what happens is, you know, whether it's supplements or diets or yoga teachers or uh, whatever whatever it is, I mean, you know, trainers, everyone thinks they have the, not that's not everyone thinks, but a lot of people make these claims as if they have the answer to life and life is much more complicated and you know you can eat the perfect diet but if you're stressed out and you're not sleeping properly you're also going to get ill and you know sometimes uh, people get cancer we're not exactly sure why they get cancer so I think life is complicated and if there was one um, thing that not that it bothers me that I I wish people were more aware more aware of aware of would be this real true holistic perspective of health it's much more than what you eat 
Um, and it's not just about how you sleep. It's about everything mm-hmm. and how you treat other people and how you treat the earth. This is all, it's all connected. Mind, body, green. Exactly. One word. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, your perspective is right on. I think so, too. But thank you. It's, it's, it's assuring to hear you say that. So I do want to talk a little bit about, I want to talk about all these different components and how they make up wellness holistically, but I do want to start with nutrition. You know, people say vegan, paleo, sugar, gluten. What do you, I know you have a strong point of view. Yeah, I have a very strong point of view. I mean, the first first thing I'd like to say, I don't think there is one right diet for everyone. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do think there's some basic concepts, you know, sugar is the devil, um, processed foods are bad news. But what I would say clinically, because I see a lot of patients, is most people seem to do better on a low-carb type of diet. Now, is that because they're taking the grains out and the sugar out and uh, the beans out, let's say? Is it because they're taking the lectins out of their diet? Is it because it's a lower sugar diet? I can't say, you know, because if you listen to Stephen Gundry, he'll say it's all about the lectins. Right. If you listen to some of the paleo guys or the low-carb guys, they'll say, well, it's because it's a low-carbohydrate diet and there's no insulin. I'm not sure exactly why it's happening because I think there's great points to, to all these different arguments. But what I will say is most people I see, and not everyone, do very well on a high fat that's good fat low carbohydrate sort of moderate type of protein type of type of diet now that could be because it's a low lectin diet Mm -hmm. that could be because it's just not stimulating the body's insulin and the whole sugar metabolism story Um, and you know having said that i have some vegan patients who are just are doing fine on a vegan diet too so um, but, I, you know, I will say there's, I think it's complicated by the microbiome, how you process the foods. Um, and then your microbiome is affected by how you sleep and the stress and, and everything else. So I, I think it's complicated. Um, but I think generally trying to um, correct your microbiome and, and trying to put in as few foods that trigger inflammation in your body is a good idea. I know that's vague, but... What about, you mentioned fats and a little bit controversial. What are your favorite fats? Yeah, I don't even think it's controversial. I just think the American Heart Association is so off base here. You know, they're so caught up in this cholesterol and concept that all saturated fats are bad for you. Um, My underlying philosophy would be if it's made by man, it's probably not good. If it's made by God, it's probably good for you. Um, avocados, coconut oil. Yeah, I think those are all great fats. Yeah, are they? You know, is coconut oil saturated fat? Yeah, but saturated fat is not necessarily bad for you. Yeah, you can get bad saturated fats. You can get. Um, so you know, I think coconut oil, olive oil, um, grass-fed butter, grass-fed butter, grass-fed meat as well. Grass-fed, not too grass-fed much. Grass-fed right? finish. Not necessarily. I think, you know, I know Gundry says not too much. Um, I know people who eat a lot and are fine. I don't, I think as a general rule, I'd say not too much, but I, I don't, you see, this is where I think it, you know, everyone's a little bit different. Sure. I think um, for some people they can eat more. I tend to recommend more fat than protein generally. Um, so maybe not too much. Yeah. 
I mean, I think the idea or what I try and encourage my patients to do is learn about your body, see how you feel. Um, and at the same time, we're encouraging them to meditate, to sleep properly, to, to you know, um, be part of some type of community, to do all the, you know, to, to, to create factors in your life that are going to, you know, promote healing. It's not just, don't get so upset. You know, when you get so obsessed about your diet, I don't think right. it's healthy. Well, talk to me about that, like the spiritual, mental health side of wellness, which people can ignore. They get so caught up in diet. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think where your head's at is crucial. I mean, you know, let's just take a perfect example of, um, you know, people ask me, what do you think of wine? What do you think about alcohol? I mean, I'm not a fan of alcohol, but I think it's the context of how it's drunk. I think if you're sitting around a table with your friends and your family and you, like, let's say they used to do in the old days or they do in Italy still, and you're drinking wine in that context, I think that's what's probably mm. healthy about the wine, not the wine itself. So Interesting, rather than sitting home alone and, and exactly. crying and drinking a bottle of scotch. Exactly. So I think we've lost that. I, I mean, the whole tribal aspect of life, feeling safe, not feeling alone, um, learning to sleep properly, learning to spend more time in nature. You know, we, we especially in New York City, we don't get out and experience what, what I would consider healing aspects of nature. So I think there's so many aspects to healing. In fact, I'll promote, I have a new book coming out in April, and it's about yeah. it's over 100 tips on how to be well, because I don't think it's just about diet, although sure. diet is really important. You know, it's about how you live your life as this ecosystem in, in, in this bigger ecosystem of the well, of, of I, I, I love the, the example you talk about with the alcohol, and it just made me think, is that, it, it made me think of food. You know, this idea of yeah. food, you know, how important is diet if, you know, the difference between, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm celebrating a friend's birthday and we're having, you know, a cake or what have you, not every night, but we're, we're enjoying food and it's, it's in the family setting and, and we're enjoying ourselves versus I'm crying on the sofa eating uh, a container of ice cream, different contexts. Exactly. Or feeling, or... or the- um, depriving myself because I'm so stuck on diet like the damn like that those are the things I think are interesting we don't know the effects mentally right I, I, I would say we don't know the effects but I see the effects in patients I think people who are comfortable you know this is why what we do in in my practice is we try explain to people this is not a diet this is a way of living and if you have a birthday and you, you're going to have a piece of pizza or what, all the things we tell you not to eat, that's fine. Just enjoy it and move on. And if it affects you negatively, your body will tell you that. And then this is your choice the next time. So I do think um, those aspects are sort of getting lost in the wellness movement. You know, when we, uh, you know, you asked me earlier about, you know, what, are, what, what, what is wrong. I think in the old days when we started this out, I remember as holistic doctors with Andrew Weil and Chris Northup in the early, early days, we were much more concerned about this holistic aspect of healing. And in Chinese medicine too is, you know, as you said, sitting around a table and, and, and not being so obsessed about exactly what you're eating. I think that has probably been lost a little bit as people get so focused on what's the right diet and they can't do this and they can do this. And I think that aspect has been lost. Mm-hmm. And, 
what do you think is the future of wellness? Like you see, you, you've seen, you, you have a, you have amazing context. You saw where it was in you know, the mid eighties and here we are today. Like where, where do you think things are going? Um, next 10 years, what are we going to be talking about? I think things are going in the right direction. I think the system is having a hard time letting go of what is an unworkable system. Um, and there are more and more doctors. You know, I just broke my wrist. And uh, the surgeon was fantastic. And the hospital for special surgery was fantastic. I, I was very impressed. But it's amazing. I mean, the surgeon you know was was interested in you know diet and you know how it mm-hmm. affects it so i'm getting questions from traditional doctors who seem to be much more interested partly for their own health um and partly because they see that the system is not particularly good at at certain things so i think there's an opening up in the medical system slowly um uh i i do think uh um it can be a bit controversial because people are still scared to question the system you know when i first started i didn't really give a shit and <laughs> am i allowed to swear you on can that? say whatever okay. you want okay you're frank Lippman. um you know when you grew up when you grow up during apartheid and you know the system is rotten when you're questioning the system you sort of know you're right and i had the same concept about the medical system it was so obviously rotten or or narrow and you know questioning it wasn't very difficult i think traditional doctors are still scared to be that they're going to be ostracized but i'm seeing less of that um i think it's still a consumer driven movement so it's coming from the consumer and it's not that the change is not going to come from the top mm-hmm. um but more and more people are being helped by um holistic medicine or functional medicine or whatever you want to call it so they're telling their friends and um, and this is how it's spreading and then we have these you know wacky websites like mind body green which uh, (laughs) um, are also spreading the word so I, i i only see positive i mean i just see the growth being exponential um, is there going to be a lot of crap coming out of it? Sure, but that's just part of the deal. I mean, that's and what fine. about the testing and the personalization? So, like things like you know, you mentioned cholesterol, maybe outdated. Now we're talking about the microbiome, like DNA. Like, what sort of testing do you, uh, you think is like more? What, what testing? I'm curious. You think is less relevant? What what you what you think is more relevant today? Right. And what type of tests you think we're going to have tomorrow? Great question. So I think cholesterol is almost irrelevant. It's not a particularly helpful test for your to see how healthy you are. Um, I think the the microbiome testing is probably going to be incredibly helpful in time. At the moment, I don't know any microbiome test that is particularly helpful yet because you're measuring a small number of organisms within this huge, huge number. So I think microbiome testing, I'm really intrigued by it, and I think that'll be the future. Um, I love the idea of being able, I mean, to me, the way I see the future of medicine would be, you can do this at home, you'll be able to do a blood test, you can do your genetics, you can do all this stuff at home, Um, then you send your poop off, and you'll have all these results, and you'll get some type of picture, but ultimately, you still will need to sit down with a person and see where they're, there's more 
there's more to health than just the results, whether it's a microbiome or bloods or, or a genetic profile. I think all those things help, but the human condition and the, the context of, of, of how you processing and how you're relating to your world is something that hopefully won't get lost in the future of medicine and probably will to a certain extent because you know that aspect of human relationships is sort of being lost and uh, I think the relationship with your doctor is ex- can be extremely powerful um, you know as the Dalai Lama says the three most important aspects of healing is your belief you know what you believe what the patient believes and the karma between the two of you or the mm. rela- and the relationship so I think you know belief systems are important but your relationship with your doctor is really key and because um, I think a lot of why we get better probably has to do with what we believe and um, how we feel about things. So when someone leaves my office and they feel good about you know, the whole experience, there's more chance they're going to get better than if they don't feel good about it. So I think we're very complicated beings. And to just um, think that we're going to get all the answers in a poop test and a blood test is a little, I think, is a little bit naive, although I think all those tests help. Sure. One thing I know a lot of people have trouble with sometimes is sleep, and you've got a great formula for that. Can you share some of the things that you always tell people who have trouble sleeping? Well, I think sleep is a rhythm. And, you know, I I went through a stage where I was obsessed with body rhythms and, and, you know, because we are rhythmic beings, you know, we... We don't realize it, but same as there seasons and there's day and night and there's seasons. You know, our bodies are going through these rhythms too, and we know about the circadian rhythm. And sleep is a rhythm. So, when you're not sleeping, your rhythm is off. You know, and that's a key rhythm. And actually, from years and years of seeing patients, I would say, eighty, let's say, eighty percent of people who don't sleep, the problem is what's going on during the day for them, rather than at night. And often it's stress, not everyone because there are other causes, but, you know, we, we live such a busy life and we're so stressed out and we're on our machines all the time and all these things don't help um, us being able to just sort of slow down, chill out and go to sleep at night. So, And I think sleep is, is, is really key. I mean, sleep is one of those key um stools for or this key legs for the, the, the this table of wellness and um, probably the most forgotten or the least taken seriously is sleep and um, when you can get someone to sleep better it often changes a whole host of things and there's something which I love it's called have you heard of the glymphatic system mm-hmm so I love this. Can I explain it to you? Sure. So the glymphatic system is a system you have in the brain, which is like a garbage collection, which is like a cleaning system. So, you know, the, the example that I always use is if you have a party at night and next morning there's a mess. If you don't clean up the mess and you have a party again the next night, the mess is just going to increase and, and increase. And uh, the glymphatic system only works when you sleep. So during the day, you create all this mess in your brain. And at night, when you're sleeping, this glymphatic system is this garbage collection. It takes away all all the byproducts of of being awake and clears it. 
But if it's not working properly because you're not sleeping, it just, you know, these byproducts, this waste builds up. So if you're not sleeping, all this waste builds up in your in in, in your brain, and you know you you know you'll start with brain fog and loss of memory, but ultimately it um, you know it can lead to all sorts of um, more serious problems. We believe anyway. Um, so I think this notion of you know not having enough time to sleep or sleep isn't as important as diet is is totally wrong i think sleep is really important and you have a couple of best practices so temperature yeah i mean there's some out. basic things you know just darken the room completely and if you can't do that just get an eye mask you know having a cold and and that's because um, even a little bit of light will inhibit your body's own melatonin which is a sleep hormone um keep it cool because you're going to sleep better six what's the optimal temperature again? 60 in the 66 67 you shouldn't go above that um uh some people go as low as 60 but you know in the 60s in the you know mid 60s is is good i think preparing yourself for sleep is important you know i talk about a um uh, <coughs> um uh just switching off all your technology. I mean, I wish I practiced what I preached. <laughs> Sometimes I'm on the computer too late at night, but I know when I'm on the computer too late, I don't sleep as well. So I think, you know, um, if you can have uh, uh, switch off your computer and all technology by nine o'clock, just prepare yourself for sleep because that blue light from 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 your cell phone for, from your computer is going to affect your sleep. Um, so switching off all those technology machines not watching tv after nine is a good 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 idea although lately with what's going on you know i've been watching MS, msnbc every night it's been crazy um <laughs> but uh, you know that's a good idea and i think what i have probably found to be the most helpful thing for sleep is getting people to just chill out during the day or to do a meditation <laughs> Um, uh, you know, I know when I meditate, and I'm going through a good stage now of meditating, I sleep much better. There's no question about it. And I see that with patients too. And we can get them to chill out. They sleep much better. And finally, you know, when you, your diet, when you clean up your diet and you're not eating as much sugar and, and, and starchy carbs, you tend to sleep much better too. So sleep is complicated, but there are some simple things to do. But probably most important is like deal with the stress in your life. Right. I want to talk about the planet, the environment, nature. Why is it so important to our well-being? Well, first of all, you know, what I got taught by Harriet and Ephraim is we humans are microcosms of the macrocosm, which is the planet. And if the planet is sick, you're going to be sick. Um, And to ignore that is you know, is going to be detrimental to your health. So um, to think that we humans are isolated and can do whatever we want um, is, you know, not only ignorant, but is is detrimental to, to everyone's health. And we're seeing that now with all the chemicals in the environment. I mean, we know that uh, babies are born with, uh, I don't know how many chemicals, but sure. tons of chemicals. So I mean, uh, to me, if if you you want to, um, you asked earlier about what's the most important uh, 
or what I see lacking. I think this this lack of concern for what we're doing to the environment, not only for the environment, but it's coming to you know bite us in the butt with our own health too. And I see so many young kids now. I'm seeing more and more you know young women in their twenties with these chronic conditions, and a lot of it has to do with what's going on in the environment. Sure, it has to do with diet, but it has to do with all the chemicals in the environment. You drink water and there are you know, hundreds of chemicals, um, the plastics and the chemicals leaching into the food. So I think um, being ignorant of, of what's going on in the planet just for one's own health, never mind for the planet, is a little bit scary. That, that I would probably say would be my biggest concern. And I wish there was more of that in the wellness movement, this concern for what we're doing to the macrocosm, because we are part of that. You can't mm-hmm. remove yourself from the planet. Right. So Ubuntu, something very special, and I want you to explain to people what, what Ubuntu actually is. Right. So Ubuntu is a, is a causa, a South African causa term, which means what makes us human is the humanity we show each other. And uh, I actually happen to work closely with something called the Ubuntu Fund. So I work closely in South Africa, and, and you see it in certain communities, not everywhere, obviously. South Africa got a lot of problems, but um, you, you just see how important it is in certain communities. And you see it all over the world. It's not a South African thing. Ubuntu is probably similar to compassion in other cultures. I mean, you see it in, a, in, in many cultures all over the world, um, how everyone treats each other in a way they want to be treated. And um, because when you grow up in a community that's very small, you can't be an asshole to someone because then you ostracize from the community. <laughs> but the way we live now, you're sort of not encouraged, but almost encouraged to, because there's no feedback in the community, you can be an asshole and, and you can still sort of function in the bigger society. So. Um, with, with Ubuntu and, and, and living in smaller communities, you sort of can't get away with being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> or it's harder anyway. So I have one last question and, and then we have an announcement. Uh, so if you could go back in time and give yourself advice in your 20s, what would that advice be? Well, very personal. I would have rehabbed my knee um, so I injured my knee when I was 21 playing soccer. Um, and I had surgery to fix it. And in those days, I was more interested in uh, getting high and uh, having a good time. And I didn't rehab my knee. So now I've got a sort of knee that's not particularly functional and has caused all other problems. And so I have to work harder just to stay functional. Um, okay, so that but that's sort of (laughs) (laughs) but I mean um, what would I have Uh, I I think realizing the importance of um, community I mean you you know it's it's hard for me to see because you grew up a certain way in South Africa and and these things were just part of life and then you come to America and you're trying to make it in America and life's very different so I don't know what I would have done differently um uh, I don't regret too many of the bad things I did. Um, um, 
I'm not sure. Okay, that's fair I'm, enough. I'm not we sure. have the need. That's good. Yeah. No regrets. It's a good way yeah, to live. Yeah, I'm not, no, I, yeah. If, if that question becomes too long, it becomes a little, you know, unnerving, I think. If, excuse me, if that answer becomes... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, what I've done throughout my... I've just lived what I thought was, you know, I sort of, I think, got uh, um, brainwashed by my father to live my truth and not to question the system. And I just, I've done that. And now I'm sort of at a different stage and now I'm becoming more philosophical about life and what to do and how to... How, how to be more effective you know for so many years it was just how do i do what i'm doing become successful yet you know chase my dream etc now it's like how do we sort of create a, a more loving uh, humane society i love that and so we have some news so we have a nutrition training at my money green which you're a part of which is amazing do you want to talk a little bit more about what what you what, what people can expect from the training. You filmed some great stuff for it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited because this is uh, you know my dream now is to like how do we get information out to people in a responsible way because I think that's important because there's so much um, information there that I would say is probably not that accurate or correct or for lack of another term responsible. So um, I did a d- disease prevention course which I love. Um, and a course on detox, which is one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite uh, things to do because I think a detox done properly is just a good entry point into healthy living. I mean, it's not the answer to everything, but it's an entry point. So I covered detox and disease prevention, two of my favorite topics. So, uh, well, it's amazing. I've done your detox. I can speak for Frank's de- detox and his uh, philosophy on detox. You can eat, which I like. Absolutely. I mean, detox is really supporting your body's own detox system. Right. So I'm not really into juicing for detox purposes. If you're juicing green juices, that's fine. But I think detoxing is about removing as many triggers and chemicals and foods that may trigger inflammation, uh, removing that from your diet but still eating food, and then supporting your body's own detoxification systems. Oh, I agree. I felt good. I, I've, done, I've done everything, and I feel the best when I do your detox. So. I love it. Oh, we love you. Thank you so much for being on, Dr. Frank Littman. Thank you, and thank you for all you do. Thank you so much, Frank. Thanks, guys. Thanks.